from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. That on July 1st, when presumably about 200,000 Missourians are eligible for coverage, the state's going to have to provide it. This is what the proponents say. And if they don't, it's going to result in a lawsuit that, and a judge is going to force the state to do it. But you've already heard some folks that are kind of expressing concern because he has no medical training, he's not a doctor, and now he's going to be running the Department of Health. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but they say his, his position is interim and they hope that it only lasts 30, 60 days at most. And maybe get an actual physician in there, is the thinking? Yeah, I mean, you're going to see a, a, probably a nationwide search to try to find uh, someone to take that position. And, you know, there's a lot of federal money coming in. It's probably a, a good position for somebody to take. And if anybody's listening out there and wants to submit a resume, this would be the time. Uh, it's definitely not a time where you're going to have to be hacking and slashing. So so if you're dying to move to Jefferson City, Jason, Jason has a great opportunity for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sarah Fenske. It's our Friday legislative update. The Missouri legislature has been busy in the last week. Not only did the House expel one of its members, but both the House and Senate have been debating some of the most contentious issues of our day. That includes the rights of transgender youth, as well as the 1619 Project. That's the New York Times initiative to reframe American history so that slavery and white supremacy are front and center. And it's not just hot-button issues driving debate. There's also news on the battle over Medicaid expansion. And here to get us up to speed on everything is Jason Hancock. He's the editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent. That's the nonprofit news site covering all the news that's fit to print in Jefferson City. Jason, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So, Jason, let's talk about Medicaid expansion. A few weeks ago, the Missouri House signed off on its budget. It had no funding for this. That's despite state voters approving an expansion of the program last year. So at that time, we were told it wasn't over yet. Is that still the case today? It's not over yet, but it is uh, definitely getting closer to the finale. So the, the fight moved to the Senate Appropriations Committee this week where a Republican state senator from Springfield named Lincoln Huff tried to offer an amendment putting at least part of the funding back into the budget. He saw this as a compromise, and several of his Republican colleagues joined with him, arguing, look, we should probably do this. Not mm-hmm. only is it was it passed by the voters, but if we don't and it ends up in the courts, it's going to be taken out of our hands. We should set the terms, and we should move forward. Uh, came to a vote, and it tied 7-7, oh. which means it was defeated. And so it was three Republicans and four Democrats voting in support of putting expansion money in there, seven Republicans voting against. And so the budget is going to come out of committee without that, which sets up uh, next or, yeah, next week. Uh, the full Senate is going to take up the budget for debate. And that's, that's where the last fight, at least of this session, theoretically, will take place is on the Senate floor. And we'll see if a coalition of folks can get that money back in or if the majority party is going to be successful in keeping it out. So a tie-in committee, there obviously is some appetite to get this back into this budget at the same time that there's there's people who clearly don't want to see this happen. Do you have any sense of how things could break down once the full Senate is there? Well, we always knew there was going to be a floor fight regardless of how this played out in committee. You know, there's a dedicated group of conservative senators in the Senate that argue that the voters – 
that by even by passing Medicaid expansion, they cannot constitutionally tie the legislature's hand and force them to fund it. Hmm. And they're saying they're representing their districts, where in rural Missouri, overwhelmingly uh, voted against Medicaid expansion. And so that's what their argument was going to be. On the other side, you have Democrats now. The money didn't get into the budget. There's concern that maybe that now they'll hold up the budget. They, you know, there is a deadline of early May. They have to pass the budget. And if they do not, they're going to have to call themselves back into special session mm. and start the process over again. And so, you know, I, like I said, I think there's going to be a fight on the floor. I think ultimately most folks think that this is going to be settled in a courtroom that on July 1st, when presumably about 200,000 Missourians are eligible for coverage, the state's going to have to provide it. This is what the proponents say. And if they don't, it's going to result in a lawsuit that, and a judge is going to force the state to do it. Um, and I think that's where we're headed. Hmm. There was some talk that rural hospitals and that other interests in the state might be pushing hard to make sure that this happens. Are you aware, has there been a lot of lobbying on members to shift their position on this? I mean, I, they're definitely getting involved. I mean, people on all sides of this. I mean, this is a huge issue. This is hundreds of millions of dollars, I think, like, you know, that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's definitely efforts on both sides. You know, the governor was asked about this yesterday. He put it in his budget. The House removed it. And he was asked what he thought about that. He was sort of circumspect. He didn't really, you know, he hasn't laid down the gauntlet and said, put it in mm-hmm. or I'll veto. He hasn't said, this is what I want. He sort of said, well, you know, the legislature is going to do what it's going to do. And he he's, feels like he hesitates to jump into this thing until it's on his desk. Um, but on July 1st, when, again, when expansion is supposed to take place, it's going to be his problem one way or another. And so everybody's sort of looking to him as well to see, is the governor going to jump into this debate? Is the governor going to, to lay down a marker? Um, because he obviously is the leader of his party and could have some considerable sway on the where this debate heads. Hmm. So speaking of Governor Parson, there was a surprising departure from his cabinet this week, or perhaps just surprising to me. Uh, but Dr. Randall <laughs> Williams, who's the director of the Department of Health and Senior Services, he's gone. Um, and Fox 2 KTVI reports that Governor Parson said he asked Dr. Williams to resign. Do we know why? That's That's been the mystery. Nobody really knows why. The governor kind of hinted that this was a, a decision that was a long time coming. He, hmm. You know, he said something in his press conference yesterday about it's hard to recruit people to these sort of high-profile positions when you're running for office because you don't know if you're going to win or not, which sort of, to me, kind of indicated that this is something he's been thinking about. But um, he, it was a strange answer from the governor because he praised Randall Williams, said he did a great job, said he was happy with his performance, but he then admitted that he asked him to resign uh, suddenly on Tuesday with no explanation and with nobody in place to take his job. And so he elevated his deputy chief of staff to an acting director position. But so it is sort of a it's become an interesting parlor game in Jefferson City as the where what happened to Randall Williams. You know, he'd been such a high profile member of the governor's cabinet, been out front not only on the pandemic, but for years before on a number of issues, you know, uh, the, the Planned Parenthood's license to perform abortion, mm-hmm. uh, medical marijuana for him to just be gone out of nowhere with no explanation. Uh, it's definitely set people to chattering, and, and maybe one day we'll figure this thing out. So Missouri garnered a lot of national news coverage for the slow vaccine rollout, having vaccine deserts in the metro areas. Um, is it fair to pin that in part on Williams and, and his leadership of that department? 
I mean, I guess the, the argument could be made that, you know, as the guy that runs the department, all, you know, the buck stops there. Um, I think the governor would say the successes or failures of, of his administration are his. Mm-hmm. You know, he is the leader of it. Um, it's worth noting that the person that's going to be taking over, at least on an interim basis, is Robert Nodell, who has been leading the administration's vaccine program. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a complete break from leadership on that front, at least, as the state continues to roll this program out. You know, if, if Robert Nodell, who's, again, he's the deputy chief of staff for the governor, is, uh, is still in charge of this program, it just has a different title, and taking on new responsibilities, presumably this would be sort of a seamless transition uh, at least in regards to the vaccine program. But you've already heard some folks that are kind of expressing concern because he has no medical training, he's not a doctor, and now he's going to be running the Department of Health. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but they say his, his position is interim, and they hope that it only lasts 30, 60 days at most. And maybe get an actual physician in there, is the thinking? Yeah, I mean, you're going to see a, a, probably a nationwide search to try to find uh, someone to take that position. And you know, there's a lot of federal money coming in. It's probably a, a good position for somebody to take. If anybody's listening out there and wants to submit a resume, this would be the time. Uh, it's definitely not a time where you're going to have to be hacking and slashing. So so if you're dying to move to Jefferson City, Jason Jason has a great opportunity for you. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is Jason Hancock. He's the editor-in-chief of the Missouri Independent, the nonprofit news site. Uh, Jason, speaking of resignations, last Friday you brought us up to speed on the allegations against Representative Rick Raber, his children. Children had charged him with abusing them, um, and this is back when they were kids. He, at that point, had tried to resign. The House said no. What happened in this past week on this story? The House moved forward with their ethics uh, process. You know, there was a complaint filed against him in January, which started this ethics investigation into these allegations that you mentioned. Uh, it came to a head in the last few weeks. Um, what we've learned is on Monday they, they released their report, the Ethics Commission, that documented what they had found and sort of how, how the process had played out. Um, they interviewed his children. They interviewed his ex-wife. They found them credible. They found him. I think the words that they used were, you know, angry, uh, abusive, <laughs> and not credible. Um, and ultimately recommended unanimously that he be expelled from the House. Um, that was Monday. The report came to a vote on Wednesday, and 153 lawmakers uh, voted in favor of expelling Rick Raber. Nobody voted against. There was one person who voted present, hmm. which, you know, I think he was an attorney, and there was some sort of perceived conflict that he felt. I'm not sure exactly why he voted present, but it was a unanimous vote to expel him on Wednesday, and he becomes the only the second person to ever be expelled from the House uh, and the first since the Civil War. Wow. So um, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty monumental decision that the House made. And did he try to fight this at all, show up and, and speak in his defense? He did not. So uh, when they first uh, approved this report, uh, you know, they put this in their report that they reached out to him, told him what they had determined, told him that what they were going to recommend, and he said he was going to resign. Uh, a few days later, he rescinded and said, "Nope, I'm gonna. I want to have a hearing. I want to fight this." Hmm. And then, uh, just a few days after that, is when news broke that the committee, or I should say, House leadership, uh, had reached out to Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters Baker, expressing concern that he still had regular visitation with a young child and asking her to intervene. Shortly after that news came out, he resigned again. And as you pointed out, the House decided this time, no, it's, it's like we talked about this last week, it's the opposite of the you can't fire me because I quit. <laughs> they literally said you cannot quit because we want to fire you. 
and they they mentioned that these the children haven't had justice for decades mm -hmm. and they feel like their voices have been silenced they wanted to at least give them some semblance of justice and this is how they felt they could do it mm -hmm. so rick raber has been fired now we're talking about children um as i mentioned earlier there were some hot button issues debated in both chambers this past week um, and one of these discussions involved transgender youth what was the proposal uh, being discussed over this so yeah, this is an issue that's come up a lot around the country. Uh, there was a bill passed in Kansas and just, I think, yesterday vetoed by the governor over there. But uh, here in Missouri, uh, a representative named Chuck Basie, who's a Republican from Rocheport, uh, had a pro uh, proposal that was attached to an education bill that would have prohibited transgender students from participating on sports teams that match their gender identity. And basically the argument Republicans were making was uh, you know, biological boys should not be competing against girls. That that was the Republican argument. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Democrats and, and a fair amount of Republicans as well pushed back against this, uh, argued that there's already, uh, you know, regulations in place uh, from the High School Sports Association here in Missouri that govern this, that this is a solution in search of a problem. And, you know, they felt as though that this was just singling out these kids who have it hard enough, have high suicide rates, and are just targeting them. Um, the House ultimately passed this uh, 100 yes to 51 no's, uh, put it onto a bill. But for the second day in a row, the bill ended up getting laid over. There was no final vote. So this bill still kind of stuck in the House, um, attached to a larger education bill. And then yesterday, Senate leadership actually said they just don't see that this is going to be an idea that gets a lot of traction. It's too late in the session, too much emotion, it's too uh, divisive. And, you know, Missouri has a hard deadline of, uh, I think it's May 14th this year at 6 o'clock. You have to, everything has to pass or, every, or, or it's dead. And so this bill still being stuck in the House, I think, has doomed it. But it has, it's raised the issue quite a bit and is obviously not something that's not going to go away anytime soon, at least in the Missouri legislature. Hmm. I mentioned the New York Times 1619 project. This apparently also ended up coming up in the middle of this debate. What does this have to do with that? And, and also, what does it have to do with Missouri? Yeah, so the, the transgender athletes bill, or I should say the transgender athletes provisions were attached to a larger bill. Um, and that's debate kind of spanned over the course of a couple of days. They passed that amendment, put it on the bill, and the next thing that happened was there was a, another amendment suggested by a Republican uh, that would prohibit the state, or at least public schools, from using the 1619 Project or other curriculum that, as they say, identifies people, entities, or institutionally uh, or institutions as inherently or systemically sexist, racist, biased, privileged, or oppressed. So basically, they don't want that curriculum in public schools. That sparked another lengthy debate, and ultimately the bill was laid over once again. And so the fact that they ended up on the same bill is essentially just that I think the bill itself kind of opened up education as a topic. Uh, and so now you have these two really controversial hot-button issues in the same bill, and a bill that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, but it has become a point of contention for Republicans, this project, and uh, how they feel as though it demonizes America's history. Your publication quoted House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid saying, basically, we all know this bill isn't going to become law. We're out of time. This is just people grandstanding for future elections. Do you think she had a point with that? I mean, grandstanding for future elections, is, it's definitely possible. I mean, every year we have these bills that kind of percolate up, get a lot of attention, draw a lot of heat. 
Um, and usually, you know, a, a vast majority of bills just don't become law. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in the House, which passes a lot more bills than the Senate because there's no filibuster. You know, you do have bills that, you know, a lot of us refer to them as newsletter bills, but bills that the state reps can then tell their constituents, like, this is what I did, and now we're off to the Senate in the hopes of, like, getting this done. A lot of those bills end up just crashing into opposition in the Senate. Um, but to the representative's point, it is very late in the session to be debating this stuff. Um, again, when it hasn't crossed over to the other chamber yet, it's you're really running out of time because the Senate's still got to deal with the budget. Then they have to, this House and the Senate have to confer to work out differences on the budget. There's any number of other hot button issues that are further along in the process. And it's a, every day, the most precious commodity to the legislature right now is time. So any minute spent debating the 1619 project is one where you're not debating a bill that maybe has a better chance of getting across the finish line. Well, Jason Hancock, editor in chief of the Missouri Independent, I want to thank you for that analysis and, and for this uh, very busy and packed legislative update. Absolutely. Anytime. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.